1: God says look to me and be saved. Why do we have assurance? Because Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. So we have assurance that we'll have eternal life. We're assurance we'll have, be saved. And then finally it looks at the extent. What is the extent of salvation? All the world. So that
0: all the ends of the world will be saved. The extent of salvation. Look to me and be saved. God's love is shown to us through salvation He promises us assurance and offers the gift to the entire world. God does not lie. He keeps His word. He gives eternal life to all who place their trust in Him. In his message today, Pastor Dave reminds us of the many benefits God gives us through salvation. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 22 as he continues his message, Paul's Apologia, The Conversion.
1: Listen to what this commentator, F.F. F. Bruce, describes. He wrote a book called Paul, the Apostle of the Heart Set Free. Listen to how he describes this incident. Quote, with astonishing suddenness, the persecutor of the church became the apostle of Jesus Christ. He was in mid-course as a zealot for the law, bent on checking a plague which threatened the life of Israel, when in his own words, he was apprehended by Christ Jesus and constrained to turn right around and become a champion of the cause which up to that moment he had been endeavoring to exterminate, dedicated henceforth to building up that which he had been doing his best to demolish. Talks about a true conversion, doesn't it? How did this happen? How could Paul go from one minute being a Pharisee, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as of the law, blameless? How could he go from one minute seeking to destroy this way, looking to destroy these people, to get rid of the sect that was destroying Judaism. How could he go from this rage that he had within him to becoming the apostle of God's grace? How does that happen? There was a great revolution in Paul's life, a great turning, a great conversion. He went from the state of being angry and, and looking to destroy them to a state of love, to a state of mercy, to a state of grace, wanting all to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. How did it happen? Well, we get an idea of how it happened in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, when he asked the question to the Corinthians as they they were questioning his apostlehood. They were questioning his being an apostle, and he asked this question, Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Ooh. Paul declares that with his own eyes he saw the once-crucified Christ now exalted as risen Savior. This is what led to Paul's conversion. He looked at Jesus Christ and he saw a Savior. On the Damascus Road that day, Paul sees the risen Lord and it causes him to turn 180 degrees. Well, as we said, Luke recorded for us this entire event in chapter 9 and we read it and we studied it, but we can look at chapter 9 again for just one quick verse. Because it seems to me that the text kind of gives you a thought that the Holy Spirit was already working in Paul's life before this happened. Because if you read quickly chapter 9, verse 5b, which is the second part of the verse, it says, Jesus tells Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Hmm, a strange verse. The goads were instruments that they used to put on the front of the plow so that if the ox began to kick, he would kick against that, and he would all of a sudden realize, I can't kick against that. I'm getting nowhere, and he would continue to plow. He would continue to plow. God was working in Paul's life. He was kicking against this Holy Spirit that was trying to convict him, trying to quicken his heart. But how was he working? What was God doing? God was using Paul's very zealousness against him. He was using the very zealousness that Paul had toward the Lord against him. He was using Paul's persecution of the way to minister to him, as only God can. God was revealing himself to Paul, showing him the depths of God's love. And this is what God does. He meets you right in the midst of where you are. God doesn't say, clean up your act and come to me. That's not what I read. God says, come to me, just as you are. You've heard that Jesus cleans his own fish. In the midst of where you are, God appears. God is there. Many, many great scholars believe that the death of Stephen, you remember Stephen, the first martyr? The death of Stephen had a profound effect on the apostle Paul. You remember the story? Paul watched him die. Paul even writes, I consented to his death. Paul was there. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin that day. He voted death, killing Paul watched it. Remember what else it said? Paul held the cloaks of those who were stoning him. Paul heard Stephen's message. Paul heard the gospel. Paul saw Stephen's face as that of an angel. Paul saw everything, and then he watched this man die, and he heard the last words out of this man's mouth, the same words that Jesus uttered on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You don't think that had a profound effect on the apostle Paul? He saw that with his own eyes. He gathered it, he reached it. You know God's word does not come back void. God's word will accomplish that which it is sent to do if we allow it to happen in our heart. You know, sometimes we hear a message and we think it's a good message, but it doesn't come to light. Sometimes it takes a while for it to sink in. Sometimes we have to hear it and 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 live it and see things in our lives before all of a sudden we go, wait a minute. But that's what God does to me. When I'm trying to do something I'm not supposed to be doing or, or thinking a way I'm not supposed to do, oh, i hand going go, bam, oh yeah. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't let up. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness, convicts of sin, convicts of judgment, because that's what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do. The Holy Spirit doesn't give up, and he continued to work on Paul's heart. He continued to work. Something was happening in Paul's heart. As I said, God's word doesn't come back void. It accomplishes that what it's sent out to do. Paul knew what Stephen went through. He saw it. So as he came to Damascus Road, suddenly God appeared to him on the road. Hearing a voice, Paul answers and says, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, there's several things of interest here that I want to look at before we move on. First of all, Paul answers Jesus correctly. He identifies him as Lord. Ooh, wait a minute. He recognized Jesus as Lord. Now, the word here in the Greek is kurios, and it means supreme one, supreme being. It means God. So Paul recognized Jesus as God, as who he is. Paul's conversion was instantaneous. And speaking of the way to salvation to the Romans in Romans 10, 9, he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, kurios, that's the same word right there. Curios, Paul knew immediately who was speaking to him. He knew it immediately, and he identified him immediately. The Spirit quickened Paul's heart to the truth, and he was born again. The second thing I see, and very encouraging to us, and we need to pick up on this. The second thing I say is, who did Jesus say Paul was persecuting? Paul said, "I'm persecuting the church." Jesus said, "No, no, 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 no. You're persecuting me." Jesus said. That should give us great hope. That should give us great, great excitement because when we are pe- being persecuted, when things are happening to us, they're not persecuting us. They're persecuting Christ. Hey, big brother, this is yours. They're persecuting him. They're persecuting the one who came, the one who came to save the world. They're not persecuting me and you. It's great. Jesus identifies with his church, and in it, I couldn't help but going to the truth project, the unio mystica. I love it. The unio mystica, the oneness we have in Christ, us in Christ, Christ in us. We're all together in God the Father, one. So if you're persecuting one, you're persecuting the other. I love that. I can only imagine what's going through Paul's mind right now. For so long, he thought he was doing God's work. He thought he was doing God a favor by getting rid of this sect. He sees the risen Lord and immediately he's changed. That's the way salvation is. You're changed immediately. Oh, I know. Sometimes it takes a while to work out in your life. I understand that. But not in God's eyes. In God's eyes, what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. In God's eyes, it's done. He sees you as pure. He sees you as holy. Paul saw the risen Lord and was changed. What about you and me? What about you and I? I didn't see the risen Lord. I didn't hear a voice. Spurgeon didn't see see the risen Lord that day. But we both look to the Lord for salvation. We both look to the Lord. And there's a great scripture in John 3 when he says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You don't have spiritual eyes before you're born again, but when you're born again, you can see the kingdom of heaven, and it has has two meanings there. Obviously, if you're born again, you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. You're going to have eternal life with God after you pass from this earth. But I also think it means you can't see spiritual things unless you're born again. You can't see the kingdom of heaven. When Spurgeon and I, I like that sound, Spurgeon and me, I like that. When we gazed into the face of God, We were changed. We were changed in an instant. If you go back to our opening verse in Isaiah 45, verses 22 to 24, let me read them to you. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and to all shall be ashamed who are incensed by him. This simple but powerful statement right here shows us the plan for salvation. It shows us the actual plan for salvation. First of all, it shows us the simplicity of salvation. Listen to what the great commentator Alan Redpath said. Quote, One can read many books on theology would expound all kinds of things in an attempt to show how man can reach God. But these theories are far from the truth. The Holy Spirit needs exactly four letters. Two of them are the same. He tells us what to do. L O O K. That's it. It's the simplest, basic thing a person can do, yet it's the most difficult in daily living. Unquote. So we see the simplicity of salvation. Look to Christ. We see the focus of salvation. We are looking to Christ as God and never to ourselves or anything else of man. We're not trying to build a kingdom. We're looking for a kingdom. We're not trying to get there by works. We're not trying to get those things by what I can do. We're looking to Christ. Again, Red Path, quote, look unto me in his word, which means looking away from the church because the church will never save anybody. Looking away from the preacher because he can disappoint you and illusion you. If I haven't disappointed or illusion you yet, hang around. Look away from all the outward form and ceremony. You must look off from all of this, but you look to the throne of God. You look to the throne of the Almighty God, and in your heart, you see the risen Lord. You see the risen Lord, and this becomes salvation. You see the reigning Christ so we see simplicity of salvation, the focus of salvation, and it shows the love behind salvation as God is pleading with man, look to me. God is pleading to man. Jesus is pleading to man, look unto me. Look to me and be saved. We have this beautiful, beautiful picture of God demonstrating his love to us, but yet we were still sinners. Christ died on a cross. Look to me, Christ says. So we have simplicity We have focus, we have love, and we have assurance. We have assurance. God says, look to me and be saved. Why do we have assurance? Because Titus 1, 2 says God cannot lie. So we have assurance that we'll have eternal life. We're assurance we'll have, uh, be saved. And then finally, it looks at the extent. What is the extent of salvation? All the world. So that all the ends of the world will be saved. The extent of salvation. Look to me and be saved. There's a great story in Numbers 21. Don't have to turn there. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. There's a great story in Numbers 21. Some of you may know it. Nation of Israel is being the nation of Israel. Cantankerous, complaining, murmuring towards God, something that you guys never do. God says, okay, I've had it. You're done. And he sends in all these snakes, all these poisonous snakes. And they start biting the people. And guess what? The people die. The people come to Moses and they go, Moses, Moses, we're all dying. We're all getting bit by snakes. We're all dying. Do something, Moses. Do something. Moses goes to God and God says, fashion a serpent out of bronze. Fashion a serpent out of bronze. Put it on a big stick. Take the stick in front of the camp and put the pole on the camp. Whoever looks at the bronze serpent will be healed. Whoever doesn't will die. Moses does that, puts it up there. Puts that stick up there with the bronze serpent on it. Somebody gets bit by a snake, they look up there, boom, they're healed. Somebody gets bit by a snake and says, I'm not looking there. They die. Simple as that. Now, why did I tell you that story? Ah, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Jesus is having that wonderful, wonderful conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John. And in verses 14 of 16, Jesus declares something here. And he says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I'm the one being lifted up. If you want salvation, just like you looked at the bronze serpent, look to me. We're back to that thing again. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and be saved. Look to Jesus and have everlasting life. So if you compare that with Isaiah 45, you can see the simplicity of salvation. Christ is lifted up for all men to see. Look upon Christ. You can see the focus of our salvation. Believe upon the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man. We can see the love behind the salvation. Christ is crying out to the world, look to me. And we can see the assurance of salvation because they have eternal life. With the, and then we see the extent God so loved the world. God loves the world. Spurgeon had a pretty neat commentary on this very passage, and he says this, wherever I am, however far off, it says look. It does not say I'm to see. It only says look. If I look on a thing in the dark, I cannot see it. We have done what we were told. A sinner only looks to Jesus. He will save him. For Jesus in the dark is as good as Jesus in the light. And Jesus, when you cannot see him, is as good as Jesus when you can see him. It only says, look, ah, says one. I have been trying to see Jesus this year, but I have not seen him. It doesn't say see him. It says look to him, unquote. When we look upon Jesus, we have salvation. Why? Why? We have to go to a prophet. We have to go stay with Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, in the king, the year Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Haya lifted up. And he talks about the throne room of God, how he sees the throne room of God. And what happened when Isaiah was in the presence of God? What happened when Isaiah was in the presence of the Lord? What happened to him? He saw himself as he really was. Sinful. Unclean, unrighteous, in need of a Savior. Because what did he say? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, living in a nation of unclean lips. I need a Savior. And, 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 and the cherubim takes the coal and touches his, touches his lips, and his iniquity is gone forever. Don't you see the parallel? We look to Jesus, and Jesus reveals himself to us, and immediately we go, Ugh, I can't look upon you, Lord. I'm sinful. I can't look upon you, Lord. I'm I'm dirty. I'm unclean. He says, look upon me and be saved. And we confess to him, I'm clean, Lord. I'm unclean. And he saves us. He saves us. Isaiah said, I am God and there is no other. This is why we must look to the Lord and to the Lord alone. We can't look to institutions. We have to look to God. Again, the church is not God. Pastors are not God. Brothers and sisters in Christ are not God. We don't look to them. We look to the Lord for salvation. And when we look to the Lord, we find Him. Isaiah says the promise is given by God Himself. I swear by myself, God says. When God affirms an oath, who does He swear by? He swears by Himself. There's no one greater. So when God swears and gives an oath, He swears by Himself. In Hebrews 6.13, He said, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And then Isaiah continued and said that to me, every knee should bow, every tongue shall take an oath. The Lord declares this girl, come a day when every knee will bow to him and every tongue will swear to his greatness. You recognize this quote. You should recognize it because Paul quoted this very verse in in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. And when Paul quoted this verse, it is an overwhelming evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ. Overwhelming evidence. Everybody looks, well, show me the deity of Christ. It's right there. Because everybody knows when Isaiah was talking about God, he was talking about God, Jehovah. But Paul takes this verse, and at whose name will every knee bow? and whose name on everybody's tongue? The name of Jesus. It's the deity of Christ that he's clearly pointing to. And then finally, Isaiah finishes this 45 verse. He says, He shall say, Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. I have righteousness and strength in Christ. I have righteousness and strength in Jesus Christ. But those that are against him will be ashamed. Christ said, You're either for me or you are against me. There is no middle road here. If you cannot decide before the two, you have decided and you are against me. There's no middle road. Those that don't look upon Christ, those that aren't saved, will be ashamed. But yet they'll still have to bow and confess. They will still have to do that in the presence of the Lord. Have you looked upon the face of God? Have you looked to Jesus Christ and know the need for salvation? Have you done that? Have you done that as children? Have you done that? Have you looked to God and say, yes, I need salvation from God? This is what I need. Have you gazed into his beautiful face and see the need for him? It's what every man and woman and child must do to earn salvation. That's the only way we get salvation, and it's not earned at all. It's a free gift, God's grace. Music has played an enormous part in my life and I love to listen to various songs and I've been on an old song kick lately. I have one for you now. I have an old song. Some of you might have recognized it. Some of you might know it. I'm going to sing. I'm not going to sing. I'm going to say the verse first. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at a Savior and the life more abundant and free. The chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Isn't that beautiful. Through death into life everlasting, he passed, and we follow him there. Or us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a dying world and tell them. his perfect salvation to tell. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And we look to Jesus mainly for salvation. And there is not one person in the world who does not need salvation. And we look to Jesus for that. Are you having a bad day? Christian, look to Jesus. Having trouble at work, Christian? Look to Jesus. Having trouble in a relationship? Look to Jesus. You are assured.
0: Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out, as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is! The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out assurehoperadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's assurehoperadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again right here on A Sure Hope.